Um, Angela reveals Isabella is, well, I guess, clairvoyant and has psychic abilities. She then kind of mentions that she too has the same. I know I've said this before just a few minutes ago, but I mean, it's kind of a twin thing. I didn't feel like it was special, but it kind of comes to light in the movie that it obviously is very special because that's what the son of Lucifer needs. He needs a strong psychic woman, a strong independent psychic woman to basically be brought onto this earth. Um, I think Constantine gives her like some kind of near death experience, which basically brings out Angela's psychic abilities to which she's able to find out that Balthazar was involved with uh, Beeman's death. She finds the, I don't know. The coin. Would you consider that a coin? Yeah. She finds a coin inside. I don't know. She just reaches down and pulls up this coin out of this little gated area. And boom, she's in the game now. She is able to see things. I just want to point out one thing. This is a, this is actually a point in the movie where they, they show a little bit of the, the bastard Constantine that you get, you know, from the comics, because he tells her that he's going to like, you know, do this thing to, you know, awaken her abilities. He doesn't tell her that he's got to actually kill her for a second. Oh yeah. That's a work. <laughs> and then whenever she realizes that what's happening, that he's actually going to drown her. Like he, he pulls no, I mean, like he's giving her no empathy whatsoever. It's just like, Nope, you're going to be till you die. You're going to stay under the water. He learned that from the devil, but at the same time, he didn't necessarily want to do it. She was asking for it, and she gave verbal consent. And if she didn't want that, she shouldn't have worn what she was wearing. That's just, I, that's how I feel. And she shouldn't have gave him the eyes, and she shouldn't have Yeah, said, she gave him the eyes. <laughs> she went in. This is such a Latina move. She went in that tub legit with a white tank top and a black lace bra. She knew what she's getting into. She or, knew what she was doing. Actually, she was hoping to get into a lot more, but that's that's a yeah, whole argument. That did not hope. And you know what? I'm going to say it now. That is one thing I actually did like about the movie. She may have given a lot of uh, come and get your love eyes, but there wasn't any sex scene in this movie. And I, I just I know that it happens in horror films, and it not, doesn't necessarily bother me. I just prefer that it's not. Let's get past this. Let's get to the real action. I don't want to see you guys banging. I don't care well, about that. I don't care about your love. They actually thought about it for a split second. Not not any kind of love making, but like actually having the two characters kiss at one point because there was romance between the two of them, whether they wouldn't admit oh, it definitely. or not. But yeah. um, they were afraid that if they ever actually gave a kiss in the you know one of the work prints that the studio would see it and when it completely reworked into a romance, and that's the reason Ugh. they actually you know uh, left it out of the movie because they they didn't want the studio to even get the hint that, or a whiff yeah. of you know a romance in that you know in that way. I'm glad they went the route that they did, honestly. Like I said, I don't care that there's romance, but I don't want that to be any kind of main focus, not even a scene focus. You know, I know they had a few close calls and it just didn't happen and they got straight into the action again. And I don't know. That's just me. I really do like, okay, think shit blowing up, bodies flying out of the place. Show me the weapons, which we do get a really cool weapon scene shortly after this. <laughs> I, I don't know if this is the part where he grabs the gun with the cross on it. I don't it think is. it is. It, it is. is. Oh my god, yeah, right, that right gun after, was badass. Because Beeman's stuff was right there beside where the coin was at. So that's whenever he's like, you know, getting locked and loaded for the final com- confrontation. Okay, and I wasn't one hundred percent about that. I thought he had some kind of secret vault, not necessarily next to Beeman, but I just thought he was at his place, some kind of secret vault where he had all these weapons. He was getting locked and loaded, which I loved the scene. He had all kinds of cool fucking toys. Um, but that gun was so cool. It's something, I mean, like a Catholic warrior definitely needs a gun like that. <laughs> it um, was a cool looking gun, it, for sure. And I, I like the design of it and how it kind of, you know, and there was even uh, something that I wasn't even aware of. And um, I thought I'd put it in the notes, but I'm not really seeing it offhand. But apparently, like, there, that the the gold that was that was made out of, or at least some of the the bullets that that was uh, melted up, you know, by Chaz or whatever, at some point, end up being like, you know, part of like they were uh, blessed. Uh, actually, as brass knuckles were ble- were made of gold, blessed by a bishop oh, during yeah. the crusade. So I mean, it you know, like there was there was a lot that they built into the lore behind a lot of those weapons in the movie. 
Yeah, and I I really enjoyed that, even though I didn't know at the time. Obviously, I knew after when I read the notes. Um, I I thought that was really cool. Um, Constantine finally convinces Papa Midnight about the demons doing dirty deeds and not for dirt cheap. Um, he was he's able to get into the chair now. He really tried earlier in the film. He tries to tell Papa Midnight that he needs to get in the chair, and he is denied access. Um, and then this particular time he finally convinces Papa Midnight, Hey, there's some shit going down. I need to get into this chair. He gets into this chair. What looks to be, uh, some kind of electrocution chair. Yeah. I think it was supposed to, they, they say something about it was a sing sing. So it was Alcatraz. Mm, Okay. But he never exactly straps himself in, which I don't know. I was like, why didn't you do that? Because he does get shocked. They, Pour all this, you know, water on the ground. I'm assuming it was water with some clear liquid. Mm-hmm. And then Papa Midnight uh, busts open a light bulb and while it's still plugged into a lamp and jams it right into the ground. And Constantine gets to see the moon and the stars. He actually gets to see the uh, Latino gentleman that had uh, got his hands on the Spear of Destiny. Basically got to witness his journey all the way to Los Angeles, which, you know, when you have a, a devil angel movie, Los Angeles is always the place, like a city of angels, that always has to be the place. Yeah, he and got I feel the like worst that's ver- so cliche. He, he got the worst version of Telemundo in his little vision. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he got the non-translated version. I mean, it got straight to the point. I guess you didn't really need language, English or Spanish, to know what the fuck was going on. It kind of gets straight to the point. Um, he's able to discover, basically, he's able to see what's going on with the spear, how it's traveling, where it's traveling, and which then points him to Angela's location where they make it basically to the mental hospital that Isabella had committed suicide by jumping off of a building, going through a glass roof into the swimming pool below. Am I missing anything? Uh, did we discuss the fact that uh, Angela had been stolen from him at this point by uh, some, or I can't remember how what where this works in the movie because I think before the Papa Midnight scene, because that's where he's at his wits end and he has to have the you know the the chair. He's with he he finds Balthazar. He tries to get the information out of Balthazar. And, you know, melts his face and tells him he's going to, you know, he lies to him again, showing another great John Constantine's bastard. And, he, he, you know, he'll lie to you, tells Balthazar, I'm going to I'm going to send you up to heaven with the other guys, even though there's no way that that could possibly work. But he convinces Balthazar that he can. And um, after he gets the information about uh I think it was like it was uh, what Mammon was needing as far as like I think that's how he knows that he needs Angela or something like that. Angela yeah. gets stolen by it's Gabriel, but you don't know that just because some some you know winged thing. You just see flies some through. invisible force, yeah, yeah. kind of pull her through the walls and out of Constantine's reach. And yes, I completely forgot about that because I do want to discuss the Balthazar getting the shit beat out of his face, basically. In this scene, I particularly have never liked the CGI in this scene, but it's terrible, but it works. Like, it's literally, every time he gets punched, his face is crumbling off. Well, there's that, and then there's, like, the weird two-face thing that they got going on toward the end where half of his face is melted, and it almost yeah. looks like a prosthetic that's rubbery, but it, I don't know. It, it, it's, it looks off, and it's not really the greatest, and then... And and you're taking away the one thing that you personally liked about you know or you know Balthazar, which was his looks, and you're yeah. left with his acting, <laughs> and still not up to par. Sorry. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't there. What happened in that scene? Because I'm drawing a blank right now. Where somebody sees him and then he just gets I don't know whisked away, destroyed even further. Something uh, happens before we switch to Constantine. He tells to get somebody. His info. He basically tells the person, which it's it's Gabriel, I'm I'm fairly sure, uh, says you that's not the deal. You said you was going to resurrect me if I did my job, and then they oh, they yeah. mentioned something like you know uh, uh, the deal's changed or whatever, and then like you know, and then he's just left to crumble, you know, and, and kind of drift yeah. away. Yeah. Yep, that happened. Okay. Um, okay. So past the where constant actually. I feel like, okay, he gets the location of where Angela is, but he finally gets Chas involved 
And this is where they have that scene of them also weaponing up. And Chaz is actually making these holy bullets for him. And yeah, what is he is putting the, in them? Is he putting holy water in them? He's doing that, and there's gold. This is the, the Monster Squad uh, scene for me. I, if uh, anybody out there hasn't seen it, you need to. But this is the scene where Rudy's making the you know the silver bullets to kill the werewolf scene, basically. <laughs> yeah. And uh, pretty, but pretty yeah. Yeah, they're they're just gearing up and and but you kind of get the idea that something bad's going to happen because Chaz is you know a little too happy with the situation and Constantine being who he is and what he does he it's probably not going to go well for his partner. Yeah, and Chaz for the most part he remained calm considering it was his first time on the job and he knew what to do. Like uh, they had a plan, he fulfilled his end of the plan. He when Constantine couldn't, because they do find Angela and she's she's got this demon inside of her trying to rip its way out. And when Constantine can't quite, I don't know, put the words together to chant uh, whatever incantation he's trying to do, you know, prayer to expel this demon, Chaz jumps in and starts helping him and things go a little bit smoother. But then I believe it's at this point that Gabriel shows up. Uh, Chaz gets killed. He gets like literally bottomed and topped out. <laughs> one one thing before we t- go any farther, I do want to back up just a second. When they do get to the, the, the place where that's at the hospital or whatever, and there's the pool scene, there's that weird mm-hmm. scene where that, that female demon, you know, uh, you know, speaks a word, something about holy water. I think she's the one that mentions it because of the fact that, you know, whenever they oh, set yeah. the sprinklers off, there was actually an extended scene with that actress where she was actually uh, John Constantine's lover at the beginning of the film. And uh, she is the one that kind of, uh, you know, before they made the edits and cut it away, she was the one that mentioned that Lucifer uh, would personally come up from hell to collect John's soul because he hates him so much. And she's actually, her name's Ellie, and she's actually a character from the comics. But, like, they severely truncated her stuff i'm surprised they even left in that one scene i guess it was to you know for the, you know the actress's sake so she got at least a credit on the movie but it's kind of a weird it sticks out because it's like who is this person and why is she getting prominence in this scene yeah and i am jumping over a really awesome scene because that was a high action scene where constantine basically gets to whoop ass on a bunch of demons while they are kind of melting because holy water is pouring down upon them um, it was pretty cool. I mean, and they didn't overdo it. There was, I don't know, less than 10 demons that got attacked while, I mean, at least that you saw. They just didn't overdo it. I I liked the scene. I thought they did a good job with it. Oh, it was one of the best scenes in the movie. I mean, especially for the action part of it because he gets to use the gun. I mean, they, it was really smart how they did. Like, he blessed the water as it was falling so that it turned into holy water. The whole scene worked. So it was it was a good scene. Yes. Now we have uh, what I'm going to say is kind of the ultimate baddie because it wasn't Lucifer. We're dealing with Gabriel at this point, who basically is kind of revealing, we'll say her. Gabriel is definitely a woman in this episode. God damn it. Show. Movie. (laughs) What's wrong with me? I need to edit that. I don't know if I should leave that in or not. Anyways, Gabriel is revealing. Yeah, Gabriel's revealing the plan. And... Let's, you know, Constantine know what's going on. Uh, basically gives the whole spiel. Um, basically banishes Constantine to another room. I don't know if I'm missing anything in between because I seem to be missing really good details for some reason. I'm I am blowing through this. Well, I do want to say that I, I thought it was interesting. So we had in the prophecy, you know, that version of Gabriel. I, I love that Gabriel. But anyways, Christopher Walken like was pissed off, you know, basically at God for giving prominence to man. This Gabriel, it's kind of weird because it's a similar thing, but it, it's in a different way. It's like this version of Gabriel has determined that man is not uh, worthy of heaven, and so her goal is to make you know Earth a living hell. Therefore, only the best and the most pious get to heaven because they have to literally you know you know deal with hell to get there. And so, like it, it's it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. Both Gabriels in both films, like you know, hate humanity. But like, but like, it's it's kind of weird in this Gabriel sense. She loves humanity, 
but like the best parts of it, but like she feels like it needs, like it, it's like an unforged piece of steel. Like it needs tempered to be able to get the best out of humans. Oh yeah. She's like, well, you know, this is going to basically, there's, this is going to make true believers. If they have to deal with this, they're going to want to do right to go to heaven. They're not going to want to be here. And I felt that to be, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. It's one of those things you're at this point, you're forcing, you know, there's a reason that God gave free will. He wanted people to choose to be there. Not his own, not, not angels. No, no, no. You guys don't get to choose, but the humans that I so love that I, you know, sacrificed my own child for, I want them to be able to choose. So while I find that to be very strange, uh, she's basically taking that away. She's basically saying, no, fuck free will. Um, basically like, I forget what, I don't even want to say what religious sect, but there's only one way into heaven and this is it. <laughs> she went that route. Yeah, she's basically she's basically saying in this that God's a big hippie in, in this reality and that he just lets anybody in there as long as they have some belief and they love him because he loves all humans. But she's saying that humans need to prove themselves to get into heaven and that's what she's trying to do. Yeah, in a like I said, again, a forcefully way, but she's also not entirely wrong because, I mean, there is that belief that you could be a murderer and as long as you repent and, you know, say your X amount of Hail Marys, the Lord will forgive you and accept you into heaven. And I feel like there needs to be a little bit more of a, a some kind of a better vetting process than that. <laughs> That's my opinion. I'm not saying that I'm right, but I am entitled to it. Um so Constantine gets banished to another room. We see Gabriel basically getting ready to uh, birth this hell spawn that is trying to make its way out of Angela's stomach. And she is going to perform a cesarean section using the Spear of Destiny. Uh, am I saying that right? Am I saying, is it a Spear of Destiny? Yes. I don't know why I'm, okay, I didn't know why I was getting confused about that. Uh, Constantine gets this master plan that he's going to stop time personally, by, again, committing suicide, and he cuts his wrist. Real quick, what did you think about the CGI of the, the demon coming out of her stomach? I mean, what was your opinion on that? Personally, I liked it. Uh, I thought it was, considering where we are now with CGI, I, I thought it held up very well. I thought it looked okay. The weird thing about it was they actually built a physical prop that did that, and then they CGI'd it. That, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. You know, I mentioned that earlier. You know uh, that that's what they did in this movie. They just took all the regular props and they they digitized them. But why? Why did they do that in this scene? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. I did not know that, and I feel like that's a um, kind of a waste, waste of resources, and you. Cause okay, what it reminds me of, and you're you're gonna you're gonna like this reference, in my opinion. Uh, it's not a good reference because there's one that looks better than the other. But do you remember? I don't know which Friday the Thirteenth it was where they had a fifty foot Freddy in it. Friday the Thirteenth or Nightmare on Elm Street? No, I'm sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh my god, I'm fired. <laughs> A fifty foot Freddy. Uh, I don't. I remember the one where they where he put the girl in the uh, the bug motel, but I don't remember like a super large Freddy. Like I, I'm drawing a blank on that one. Okay, I could be wrong. This was something I saw as a kid, and I was intrigued by it. So there was a at this point. It, maybe he wasn't large in the film, but he had a bunch of souls or or people trying to break through his stomach. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a that not drawing any. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene in one of the movies where like his chest opens up, and there's like the the souls of the children that like he his lives he's claimed or whatever. They're like kind of like trapped inside of him, and you kind of see them like maneuvering around. Yeah. Okay, how they accomplished that, and this is why I mentioned Fifty Foot Freddy, was they made a prop that was basically a Fifty Foot Freddy, and they put all of these people inside of, and they were wearing like nude. Uh, unitards and they covered them in like a slimy substance probably like baby oil or something and blood to make them look bloody and they basically had a bunch of people in there crawling and moving around each other to give that effect and so I feel like that obviously that was very realistic because they made this a huge prop to show these people coming through and they filmed it very well 
And this was literally, I don't think I've seen the movie where this happens. At least I don't remember. But I remember seeing the behind the scenes. And I was like, wow, this looks really good. I was a kid when I saw this, obviously. And then seeing this, this is kind of what it reminded me of. It kind of had a pretty good moving effect of it, moving in the stomach. Why they chose CGI when they had a prop that probably was not as big as a 50-foot Freddy is beyond me. I mean, and it's it's a simple effect. I mean, you know, we talked about HHN. They, they had the effect of... Um, I don't know if you're that scene yet, and I apologize if you're not, but there's a scene where there's a pregnant woman in the show, and like something starts to come out of her stomach in that, and they did that that kind of like in, in a low key way at uh, Universal uh, Orlando, as in that they just had like this belly prop built that was kind of rubbery, and they had the the scare actress have like her actual like there was a fake arm off to her side, and her real arm was inside the stomach and moving around and made it look like there was something inside. So it's a real easy effect to pull off if they can pull it off in a you know just like a haunted house like you know that you tore through. They could have easily done a way yeah. better job in the movie. Yeah, so, I mean, I still liked the way that it looked. Like I said, it, it gave me the same vibes as the Freddy Krueger scene that I had mentioned. Um, you know, I, I also, like, I'm not, I don't have a keen eye for CGI. I don't really, I mean, when it's bad, when I say it's bad, it's real bad. Like, we're talking, we got this CGI off a of wish bad, you know? Yeah, you're basically like me with pizza. It has to be pretty damn bad pizza for me to consider or even have a critique on it exactly so that's where i stand on it you have a little bit more of a keen eye for that and that's good because one of us has to um <laughs> one of us also has to brush up on their their horror because they can't tell the difference between friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street so <laughs> moving forward um so constantine is dying okay. we've got to that point yes constantine is dying uh time pauses and gabriel does not get to deliver this baby via C-section because when JC committed suicide and he started dying, that prompted the old scratch himself, Lucifer, to drip his way into the scene, which was disgusting with some black steaming tar to personally come collect the soul of Constantine. And I fucking loved that Lucifer took time out of his busy schedule to personally come get the one and only Constantine. What are your thoughts on this? I, I liked the, that he personally came to get him, just like they kind of set up earlier in the movie. I was wondering your thoughts on his look, because the, the actor actually came up with a look for the character. They were wanting to go a completely different way with that, as opposed to how he did it in the movie. I think that his acting, because really, because I was looking, I was looking closely like, okay, what makes this Lucifer unique? What makes you believe that this is Lucifer? One, I love that he was wearing all white because that's just not, white is supposed to represent purity. And obviously that's not what Lucifer represents. And that uh, and that was Peter Stormare's choice, by the way. That, that white outfit was his. Great choice, because at the end of the day, Lucifer is still technically an angel. And if white is what represented them, he, despite being banished, they can't take that away from him. That's how I feel on it, you know? I really liked the red-rimmed eyes for some reason. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's a natural look for him, but I don't know. Something about it just gave him this this look and I don't know if they did any additional makeup he looked for the most part pretty natural but he did really good with like the movements of the tongue the pronunciation of things using s's a lot you know emphasizing that like a snake Um, basically yeah yeah like a snake oh my god I think it was his acting that really came through there was very few um makeup and aesthetics that made him look lucifer it was his personality more than anything i did he i think he did an amazing job he i, I did like the performance in this one he kind of reminded me of vigo's uh performance a little bit in the prophecy just for the sense that it was more of that whispering you know I, i'm the the voice in your ear lucifer that you know that we kind of you know got in that movie as opposed to the more boisterous you know uh, lucifer that we got in you know, both um, the the devil's advocate and, you know, the uh, the devil and Dan, Daniel Webster. It was, it was more like the subdued, like, you know, I you know he, he his voice was more quiet. And I like that he went that route with it. Yeah, and a lot of devils that we have reviewed, for the most part, have been charming. And 
I think the fact that they didn't make him look scary at all, like they didn't make him look grotesque in any severe way, he still has that charm. He seems to have a, a personality that comes through, even though he is the devil. And I, I don't know. I just really appreciated it in general. So, and it's different. It's a different devil. I like they, they they don't keep them all the same, you know. Yeah, it's 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 a very interesting you know comparison when you compare his Lucifer and this or his devil to like Tim Curry's darkness, you know, in in, in Legend. I mean, it's like night and day. Like one looks grotesque, but it's got like this charm to his voice and how he speaks and everything. And this one is is less grotesque in his appearance outside the tar feet, but like mm-hmm. he's like there's there's something. Like, I mean, there's a charisma there, but it, it's kind of like a slimy charisma. It's not like one that, you know, it's it's not like the, the you know, the lustful, you know, bestial, sexual type thing that, that Tim Curry brought out. It's it's a different type of, of well, charisma. Well, this one's definitely not into dudes, so it was Constantine, <laughs> and although he was happy for the soul, if it was, I feel like if it was a lady, like if it was Angela, I think he would have been, he would have put on the charm a little more. That's, you know, it's possible. You get it. Um, (laughs) they have a very meaningful conversation i mean this guy i i said that he wasn't into constantine but he was definitely lusting for that soul he was yeah for sure he he had waited thousands of years in his opinion probably even longer to get his hands on constantine Uh, and obviously that has to do with i don't like what really would it be? You think he really is mad that Constantine has sent so many souls back to him or so many of his foot soldiers, if you will? I, I do. Th- yeah, I think it's supposed to be that, that he is pissed in Lucifer's eye, as it were, like too many times. And, and Lucifer's just like, OK, I, I've had an if if you ever, you know, once your time is up and I can collect, I'm, I'm coming to get your ass because you you've just, you know, like ruined my plans too many times. Yeah. Now, the devil wasn't involved with this particular plan because Constantine had to inform him, hey, by the way, your son is trying to fucking pull some shit. And if you don't believe me, go in the other room and look. And so I don't and I miss details sometimes in movies. Did I miss anything where maybe at some point the devil had his own plan? Because the devil was not fully aware of this. He was not aware, but he almost like didn't care about it at first. He was like, eh, kids will be kids. You know, he's going to do what he's going to do. And then it was whenever he mentioned the fact that Gabriel was working, that's kind of whenever it tipped him over. It wasn't so much that, that uh, Mammon was like going to do it, you know, like try to take over the earth and take over the throne because it was almost like Lucifer didn't care because he knew that like he, he had a backup plan that that, you know, wasn't going to happen, that he would get supplanted, at least in hell. But like he, whenever he heard that like Gabriel was involved, that's what kind of pissed him off. Yeah. And so he goes and he checks on what's going on. He, it's like catching your wife in bed with another man. He literally saw Gabriel over Angela getting ready to, you know, birth his son. And Time again, it stopped, by the way, you know, on Earth. Exactly. <laughs> he put an end to it. It, it was not happening. Uh, he gets into a little uh, tussle with Gabriel. Um, Gabriel attempts to smite Lucifer, but finds out that her credit with God has been canceled. Yeah, he, uh, it's, it's kind of weird. I mean, what were your thoughts on the fact that, that the angel or anybody who was on earth was a half breed? Like they don't really discuss what that means. Like Gabriel's not considered a full angel and I don't know exactly. I never picked up what the meaning of that was. Well, I, I feel like they explained it a little bit when they were talking. Okay. They showed an example of how, and Lucifer, not Lucifer, um, Constantine does say it. I'll have to find the speech. He does give a tiny little speech. He does explain it to Angela of what his version of a half-breed is. And it's somebody that they basically have a job on Earth to basically keep the balance. They're not half-human because I would have thought that they would be, you know? They're just, it's like they're not full demon because they have to do their job on Earth and same thing with angels. They can't just go around doing all this good. There has to be somewhat of a balance. One of the examples they showed is when Balthazar was doing his bad in the liquor store. And the guy, which you thought was just a regular store clerk, was leaning over um, Father Hennessy. You see his angel wings pop out. Yeah, I, I, um, 
I didn't. I don't remember seeing that scene, but uh, you know that that makes you make a good point. I did like the fact that they showed like you could tell the difference between a demon and an angel just based on, upon the color that their eyes kind of took, like in the darkness. You know, like red yeah. or, or golden. You know. I'm going to go back and I'm going to find that speech that Constantine made, see if I can clip it in. I may or may not, but at least, you know, give a little bit of insight on what his idea of a half-breed was. Okay. Um, But I did like the fact that Lucifer's, like, plan for Gabriel was just to basically make her mortal. I mean, that, that was a good, like, you know, fuck you, basically, move to her at that point. Big time. Which, how did he accomplish that? All it shows is like he's kind of he kind of like claps his hands and like there's I think and there's like some force field that comes out and like he it's like he burns the wings away, but it doesn't really like, you know, go into detail about it or anything. Yeah, I didn't know how he had accomplished that, but obviously he does one thing right at the very end of the movie, which we'll discuss, which I was like, I also had questions as to how, but I'll give my opinion on that as we get there. Um Okay, so like I said, uh, Gabriel's credit with God has been canceled. She's been turned to a human at this point, which you're right, is the ultimate fuck you. Um, Constantine strikes a deal with the devil. It's always about a deal. And he basically wants to trade his soul for Isabella's soul. He wants her to be able to go to heaven, and Lucifer can have him. And, I mean, Lucifer thought about it for a split second. Yeah, I don't think Lucifer was realizing he was also getting a, the John Constantine fuck over, you know, but but he did. Because, oh, yeah. Because, you know, th- that was the the one thing that John needed to show his redemption to God. And and, <laughs> and even though, and it was like, he, you know, the devil got tricked twice because not only did he not get the Isabella's soul in, in the deal, but like now Constantine has redeemed himself, so he's not going to hell either. Exactly. And probably... Really, when it's such, it's not basic, but it's such a short scene. It is probably one of my favorite scenes is watching the devil try to, or excuse me, watching Lucifer, let's give him the devil his due, try to drag Constantine to hell and not being able to do it because Constantine's body is just so heavy at this point. It's literally pulling the ground up like he's dragging some kind of cement destroyer against it. And yeah, I like really he can't, he can't move, lot. he can't move at all. Like he's even like the, every time he tries to move, it's like the ground gives, but nothing else does. Yes. And I thought the CGI on this was actually pretty good. It looked, it looked so real. Yeah, that, that actually did look good. And I, and I do like, I mean, what happens after where, you know, he, you know, Constantine's floating up to heaven, Lucifer, you know, gets like this, he's trying to grab hold, he's trying to keep it from happening, and he gets and he gets that brilliant idea, he's like, wait a minute, you can't go to heaven if you're not dying. Boom, he, he you know, he gives uh, Constantine the, you know, the, the cure that he's needed for a long time and, and actually pulls the tumors out of his lungs and bring and, and brings Constantine back to full health. Yes, and which I have never in any lore, and I'm not saying it doesn't exist, literally Lucifer is all lore, but I have never heard of Lucifer being a healer. But at the end of the day, he I, I constantly say this, he is an angel, and angels are capable of many things. Healing is one of them. It's just strange that he, for being banished, no, nothing was taken away, but yet he can take away from other angels. I don't know. I just, I, I question this stuff all the time. I'm like, hmm, can that be a thing? Obviously it is. It happened in the movie. I always just go by, go by the logic of in that reality, that's, that's how it functions. But like, you know, oh, you're exactly. right. I mean, I, I've never, I've never heard of Lucifer in any other kind of setting actually being a healer of any kind. I mean, like it's, he's, he's not an angel that ever had that ability that I'm aware of. Yeah. And I'm not talking shit. I really like the fact that the devil, we don't give him enough credit that of what he can be capable. We constantly think the worst, that it's going to be bad. He would never do this. He would never do that. The one question I do have, though, he healed him of his, you know, lung cancer that he pulls out of his stomach, which I thought looked really cool. It was just like this black tar, literally like the tar that was coming out of his feet is what it reminded me of. But... um what happened to Constantine's wristlets? Like, did he heal those? I didn't see anything. I don't know if that just magically disappeared because he was getting accepted into heaven for an ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, I think 
it's almost like he he regenerated before that, but the last thing left was was still his you know fatal cancer or whatever, and then that's what the devil healed up. But it, it's no, it's not really specified in the movie. And I just, I gave the devil his due in this case and, and just gave Lucifer, you know, like, oh, well, he healed up all the, you know, the bad things that had happened to Constantine at this point. Yeah, thanks, Lucy. Um, I don't know. This this scene, <laughs> I, I loved, I loved Lucifer in this movie. In such a small amount of time, just like the prophet, excuse me, the prophecy. It's such a small amount of time to have such a great, you know, Lucifer, devil, whatever you want to call him in it. Did an amazing job, really tied in, I feel like tied in pretty good, you know, any loose ends in the story for the most part. Um, He is hoping that by healing Constantine, that Constantine will make the same mistakes again and end up in his bad graces. And it's not a bad bet to make, especially with John Constantine and the fact that human beings, I mean, it's hard to change, you know, really hard to change your habits and... I mean, we see that toward the end of the movie that John's making an effort. Uh, he's got the nicotine gum. He's, you know, trying to move away from the cigarettes. So he's trying, but there, but there's not. But the the, it's, the movie's smart in the sense that it doesn't give you like the idea that he's, you know, completely changed his life. There's, he's, it's a struggle, like it would be for anybody. I mean, he's he's going to have to day by day check himself, basically. Yes. Now we conclude the film with a scene that I don't know. We'll save it for the, I'll, I'll save my talks about it for the, uh, you know, our ratings. But um, he's with Angela. They're at the top of a building. Things are looking great. Uh, she's giving him the come hither eyes, as usual. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think, I don't believe a kiss happened in the scene. It today. doesn't, no. Uh, it they, doesn't, they but they, they to... get real close. Yeah. They get real close. And he basically entrusts her to hide the Spear of Destiny I personally thought that was a bad move. It was the end. We don't see anything come further of it, but I'm like, really, dude? Like, you just met. Like, seriously? But I guess he's just not trusting himself to have it, which he does say. He's like, you know, you're hiding it from any bad forces, and you're hiding it from me. Which, that's not necessarily to rule out that he's a bad force, because Constantine knows if he has the ultimate power, he will probably try to use it. Yeah, which, uh, good on him for realizing his faults, you know? I mean, the first step is admitting (laughs) you have a problem. (laughs) So that's where we're at in the discussion of the film. Um, You had a few things that you gave some notes on, which I thought were pretty cool. Do you want me to run through those? Do you want to go through them? No, you can go ahead with some of them. I started a little bit at the beginning of the discussion for Constantine, but I want to run through them again. Let's let's go over these reminders again. Um, only characters that made it from the Vertical Hellblazer comics to transition to the film, besides Constantine himself, JC, are Ellie the Demon, Papa Midnight, Chaz Kramer, and Gabriel. So mm-hmm. let me see. There was a line about Constantine not wanting Angela to be just another ghost. And that's a throwback to the comic where the character is haunted by basically the ghost of his dead friends. Ooh, I can relate, <laughs> Constantine, kind of. Um, I could, because of what drove him to be to, to kill himself when he was a teenager or to attempt to kill himself, I could see how him not wanting to add to the roster of what torments him daily. So, I don't know. That kind of makes sense. And I know this is just a movie universe, but I'm throwing out there, if this were a thing... I would be with him on that. Yeah, I mean, Obviously, it's he had feelings for her. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, let me see. Item that Constantine burns to ward away the demons from him and Isabella in front of the Mother Mary, him and Angela, I think, in front of Mother Mary was yeah, a piece Angela, of Moses yeah. shroud. Yeah, given to him by B men. Where did you find this information? Uh, mainly IMDb. <laughs> I mean, it was in there. And how uh, are we supposed to infer that? Uh, it's it, apparently it was something that it, in one of the it was either in and and you know like a behind the scenes like thing on the the Blu-ray or you know the disc or it was something that was told in an interview but that's what the director gave that information out like outside the movie. Yeah, do we know if this was something that was used in the comics? I'm not aware. I 
honestly, I know more about Swamp Thing, which is where John Constantine originally came from, than I do about John Constantine himself. Ah, okay. No bigs, no bigs. Uh, we discussed about how the lighter that is shown many a times in this film, and they really do give it its, its 15 minutes of fame, honestly. Um, and that was actually made by Zippo with St. Benedict. And that was like that was made specifically for Constantine in this film. Uh, the brass knuckles, as we discussed a little bit, those were made of gold blessed by a bishop during the Crusades. Now, is that to just to be inferred, or was that legit brass knuckles that were borrowed for the film that were made from gold blessed by a bishop? I think it was. I think it was inferred, like another one of those things that they had built into the you know notes, but like never really made it into the movie. I mean, because this kind of reminds me of when my daughter's cross broke in her room, and the dust, or not the dust, but the dirt that is from around the River Jordan, I believe, kind of just splattered in her room, and she was panicking because she thought she was going to be in trouble because that was the, you know, dirt that protects her. It's blessed by priests out in, oh, God, Jerusalem, I believe. So it kind of reminded me of that, how how people hold these things sacred, and she made me buy her another one because she was like, oh, my God. like <laughs> I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and you said that the, the dirt made her run. <laughs> <laughs> she was afraid it would burn if it touched her. I don't know. That's your little demon child. Okay, the tattoo on Constantine's arm. I did not know this information. Obviously, there's a scene where he throws his hands together. And can you please discuss what happens when he does that? Because I'm drawing a blank. I was just so excited when I saw him do it. I'm you're you're calling on the wrong person because I'm trying to think of what scene you're referring to he, and, he and has I'm these, not really uh, tattoos on his arm that he brings them together mm -hmm. and then something happens. Uh huh. You don't remember that. I I don't remember it. Okay, hold on. I'm googling this shit right now. I don't care if I have to edit for time. <laughs> Constantine. Well, I, I'm just going to mention that 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 tattoo is uh, an alchemical symbol uh, for the Red King. And uh, what that basically means is it, it's it's red sulfur. It's the fiery male element combined with uh, mercury. And so it's it's uh, spirit and soul, basically, is what it's supposed to be the combination of. So that's that's what's his protection on his arm, is a, is a combination of, of the spirit and the soul. Yeah. It did something in the movie. I completely forgot what it did. Shame on me, because I was, again... I was excited watching the film. So sue me. Um, so, yeah, I kind of <laughs> I, I, I wanted to elaborate on that a little bit, but I am unsuccessfully elaborating on it. So we just know that when he puts his arms together, which he struggled to do, he tried it one time. It didn't happen. And then he forced his arms together a second time. And then something really cool happened that I do not recall because reasons. Um, the the spear of destiny is a prop from Hellboy which is hilarious because we discussed about how this movie was originally going to be titled Hellblazer, but they wanted to prevent confusion with Hellboy, so they switched it to Constantine, which makes more of the sense than ever now. Yeah, especially since they use props from Hellboy inside the movie. Oh, my God. Okay, sorry, I moved on a little too quickly, but the possessed girl at the beginning of the film, while she was crawling on the ceiling, she utters a phrase in Filipino, uh, Tagalog, I think is how, what their language is called. I'm not 100 on that. I apologize if I said that incorrectly, but, um, basically it, it translates to we'll kill them all. <laughs> Which is crazy that they actually built that much into that scene. Yes. And that is information that I could have slept better tonight, not knowing. Thanks, Reverend. <laughs> in the film he smokes 13 cigarettes but i have a feeling that this is just 13 cigarettes on film not counting any outtakes or any scenes that were cut no it's it's literally the the, the character is seen with 13 cigarettes in the film which yeah. is, you know obviously and 13 an is a pretty number yeah it's a pretty symbolic number it feels like throughout the film he's chain smoking like a motherfucker <laughs> it's, it's, it does feel that way Oh, shit. This is an interesting one. Okay, so uh, the cigarette that was on the nightstand, I think this is while he was performing the exorcism with the, with the Filipino girl, was a fake one made mm -hmm. to the size of a cigar and then distance filming used, wait, filmed at a distance because the director didn't have a camera that would focus properly on a regular cigarette. 
Mm-hmm. Holy shit. So that whole thing you were talking about, I thought it was funny. You were talking about like filming a big Freddy Krueger and then like, you know, making it like in a smaller, you know, making it look like a smaller scene. They basically did something similar. But they basically did that. <laughs> Genius. You, you, you can't get mad at them. Uh, numerology is something that I have studied before. I don't focus on it too much, but Isabella's uh, apartment number is 427. When you add those numbers together, you get 13. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a situation I like to call no thank you. <laughs> um, two cars uh, at the scene with the Easy Mart have license plates with two seven four on them. Fuck you. What is what? <laughs> okay, Isabella's toe tag has a six one six on it, which is altered an altered version of six six six. I did not know that. I've never heard that about six one six. I hadn't either, but apparently it, it was a commonly, you know, uh, understood thing back in like medieval times or whatever that that you know those numbers were kind of comparable, you know, to equal one another. Which is funny because I mean that's just assuming, and I I I'm terribly sorry that I sound so dumb when it comes to any kind of history regarding religion, but that would imply that okay, you already knew about the blessed Trinity, which yes, we had God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, and. 666 is supposed to be like a, it's supposed to be almost like a mockery of the blessed Trinity. They have their own version. So instead of three, they've, you know, doubled it. And instead of, well, you don't, 333 is not a thing in terms of religion, but 666 is as part of mockery in a sense. And of course, to incite some kind of fear. And I don't know, I guess I just never really... I guess that never really got to me. I know when I was younger, I was raised to fear that number, but it doesn't. Yeah. Nowadays. Anyways, um, 666 appears next to the bowling ball painting in Beeman's bowling alley. I did not catch that. Did you? It's barely in the film from what I understand. It's like there, there's like, you know, I don't know if it's bowling pins or bowling balls, but like it's on the wall and like out from them are those numbers like, you know, from each like bowling ball or bowling pin, whichever it is. I swear I need to watch this movie again. It's not like I need an excuse, but the things that you miss and the little Easter eggs that they plant in the films is pretty awesome. Uh, Norway's premiere had 666 viewers. I wonder if that was intentional. I, I don't know, but I, I think that whenever I heard that, I'm like, they really were itching for a curse on this film with all the the numerology they were putting everywhere. Yeah. And numerology, for the most part, is is used for positivity. So it's kind of funny that they used it kind of in the opposite, which is unique. I mean, that's just how it is, you know? Sometimes it'd be like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the decision was made by the director not to let the main characters kiss because he knew the studio would expect a love story. Good call. Yeah, extremely good call. Yes. Um, Peter Stormare uh, originally auditioned for the role of uh, Balthazar. Balthazar, uh, what do you think of that? Because it's an instant no for me because I loved him as Lucifer. Yeah, he was way better as Lucifer. I mean, and he's got, I mean, the... He's one of those character actors that stands out in a lot of his films too. So it it would, I, I mean, he could have worked as Balthazar, but they would have had some. They would have had to have somebody with that much more screen presence to play Lucifer on the back end. I mean, it you know, because if you're going one up from the the lackey, or you know, or, or you know, way up actually, you're going to have to have somebody. And and you know, so I mean, it would have really depended on who they cast as Lucifer in that scene. But yeah, he they definitely went the right way and and moving him up in the chain. Oh, yeah. Um, Stormare came up with the concept of how Lucifer looked, which we discussed that. You said, how did I feel about it? Uh, he was originally going to be shirtless with leather pants, a spiked collar, and tattoos. Fuck no. I'm glad you put that in there because yeah. that's, oh, my God. I mean, that is just so, I don't know. That's like a typical, God. that's a hot topic, Lucifer, is what that is. I just think it's like just such a, you know, it's such a cliched look. Like, I mean, it, it would have just totally like not stood out at all. And what he chose to do with the, like the tar on his feet and like the, the white, you know, uh, outfit, pants, you know, like the suit, it, it, it really, you know, it, it's a drastic enough look and it stood out enough to where he definitely had the right call. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad he came up with that because that... 
I don't know that it would have taken away. Just maybe, maybe Stormar didn't feel, maybe he didn't feel comfortable being shirtless. Maybe he didn't like his erect nipples on display and it took away from his, you know, his character as Lucifer. I don't know. I'm making shit up. But, you know, maybe he felt more in his element, trust how he was. I really like what he created. I, I really did too. I thought, I mean, it, he, it's, it's definitely one of the, you know, more visually, you know, interesting ones that we've seen for sure, especially this season. Um, Shia LeBeouf got the job as, as a, excuse me, as a director recommended him because he was working with, or excuse me, because he had worked with Will Smith on, or excuse me, I cannot word right now. I'm going to totally edit this. Shia LaBeouf got the job as a direct recommendation by Will Smith after working with the kid on iRobot. So Will Smith got him in this film, basically. That's basically how it amounted. It was like they were they were scouting around, and like I guess Shia, you know, applied for the job, and then you know Will Smith kind of stepped in and said, you know, hire this kid. He, you know, uh, he gets my, you know, vouch or whatever that he he he's good for what you know for the role. You're gonna have to elaborate on this a little bit because I feel like you're just putting this in to make fun of me. But I feel like you put every single word that Gavin Rossdale said. <laughs> Maybe not because he probably had a few more. No, that's that's he in one scene, and that 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 is the scene where he meets Constantine for the first time, and it is terrible. Like that, these words were all said by Rosdale in that scene. <laughs> Word is, you are on your way down. Fresh meat, finger licking good. I hate you. And you gotta say, and you gotta say, finger looking good. That's because that's finger how he says good. it in the movie. You know what? <laughs> that. You're just you're just doing this to torment me. You're just being mean is what's going on right now. <laughs> the, who that is not Gavin Rossdale's fault. That is the the screenwriter's fault. I refuse to believe anything else. Well, he he had right of refusal, I'm sure. Like he could have came up with something better cuz Stormare came up with better, so he could have came up with better. Yeah, he just didn't. And, but Gavin Rossdale was not an established actor by any means at this point. I doubt he was in anything before this other than a Bush video. <laughs> so <laughs> you can't, you, he, he still gets credit. He gets a B minus. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So let's get into, uh, let's get into the final review of it. Uh, you go ahead with your score first. Uh, three and a half. Um, three and I, a half. Like, yeah, three and a half. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the thing that you did on the the devil and Daniel Webster. Um, if to me, I, I like Keanu Reeves. I like Rachel Weisz in this movie. I like Stormare. I, I like what they contributed. The movie to me is is good, and it's one that I will rewatch. But it's not one that stands out to me as like you know the greatest thing ever. There's you know. It, if you're more of a Constantine, it, it's hard because I'm I've I've read I have read Constantine comics and that that you know or Hellblazer and that kind of flavors my opinion of it. And I've also seen Matt Ryan's performance you know since then and that flavors it even though it probably shouldn't. But I've seen other versions of Constantine and I like what they did better than this and that that's kind of where I'm coming from. But just judging on its own merit. It's an okay movie. There's, you know, like there, there's certain things. Like I said, the CGI kind of even back in the day when I remember watching that, I thought that the demons kind of looked kind of ridiculous. Like you know how they they did the the weird little creature effects on them, and I don't know. Like there there's certain scenes that stand out, but it's mainly the ones where Constantine's interacting with like you know like Tilda Swinton or you know Peter Stormare or you know those scenes. There's there's like a lot of in between stuff that just kind of it's kind of there. I mean, I like whenever he interacts with Papa Midnight, but I mean, like, I don't know. There, there's, it, it's, it's just, it's a three and a half. That's all I can say. You know, as far as like, you know, what I, how, as far as the plot and the story and everything else, I, I thought it was decent, but it's not like something that I'm dying for. Well, <laughs> I give this a four and a half because. Oh, wow. Gavin Rossdale. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, oh my not god because, not because of gavin rossdale um when i was watching this movie and maybe i'm giving it too much credit which you probably feel that because you know that i love the action like 
I am swept in when there is shit going on. Um, and I just liked almost all of the character interaction. Some of it felt a little too short for me, but then, you know, we can't drag this shit on forever. Eventually the movie has to end. I did like some of the lore that was in it. Really wish they kind of would have had a little bit more information on the shit that Beeman was giving to Constantine. I did mention that, like a little more weapon lore. I don't know, a little bit, a tidbit more focus on that. Uh, I'm glad they didn't, you know, have any love scenes in this film. I think that's what really kind of brought it up for me is that I got through the whole film excited the whole time and I didn't have to deal with no stupid, sappy love shit that really irks me for some reason. I'm also going to say that I did not. It's really hard because I, knowing Matt Ryan and his portrayal of Constantine and how he is Constantine and Constantine is not even Constantine without Matt Ryan, I didn't let that influence, you know, my portrayal of the film. And I also didn't let the comics influence how I felt about the film because when I watched it when I was younger, I knew nothing about the comics. I did not know Constantine was a comic character. And obviously I knew that information now, but again, I kind of swept that aside and kind of reviewed it as a movie that was put out, especially for its time, because only there's nerds are a big thing now. It's cool to be a nerd, but back then it wasn't, it wasn't cool to be a comic book nerd. So yes, they got a movie and they probably didn't appreciate it. They probably didn't like it, but I didn't know anything about that. And I enjoyed it then. And I definitely enjoyed it now, especially as a grown woman. Looking at Gavin Rossdale. <laughs> All right. I've got to ask um, before we wrap up this season, like, you know, portrayals of the devil in, in cinema, like we, we've covered a bunch. Uh, is there any outside of this that you, you know, want to vow, you know, throw out there your support of or is or you know, and which one has stood out the most as far as the ones we've, we've watched as far as the ones that you, the portrayal you like the best? Um, That's a good question because, I I hadn't even thought about that, honestly. I mean, we we gotta throw we gotta throw out Tom Ellis. I mean, it, you know, obviously is well, Lucifer. Yeah. You know that that's, Lucifer. We that's said we mentioned one, that but... honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know <laughs> the South Park Devil. No, just kidding. <laughs> oh my God. I feel like all the portrayals of the devil that I really liked. I mean, don't shame me for throwing this in there, but we never ever once said anything about Lucifer and little Nikki. <laughs> Harvey Keitel. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not great or anything, but like, I thought that was hilarious. I feel like all the great devils, I feel like we reviewed them, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, obviously we cheated because Pizza Guy is not the devil, even though he he said that he was in the movie. And then, you know, uh, Black Phillip is, but, like, you know, not they don't really come out and say it, but they don't come out and say it in a lot of these films, so that's that's understandable. Uh, you know, the omen is not really, I don't, I don't think, you know, Lucifer really figures into that or Rosemary's baby, either one he's in it, but like, you know, but that's not, those are more about the antichrist than anything. Um, so, but you know, we, we had to throw those in there because they, they did, you know, feature something devilish, you know, related, but yeah, because um, even if we didn't, even if we didn't review a film, we gave like special shout outs to certain lucifers that were out there like we talked about um god why can't i think of it right now uh the pick of destiny there's a pick of destiny there's elizabeth hurley and bedazzled i mean Mm -hmm. you know and then and which there's the older version of bedazzled the black and white film i have no i have no idea about that one i think it's black and white it's at least you know it's it's pretty old but i mean uh, I'm trying to think. There's more. We mentioned the the witches of Eastwick. I mean, that wasn't anything that review, we reviewed, but we mentioned it. Yeah, Jack I... Nicholson. Have to mention him in that. Yeah. It's it's this is this is rough because we'd have to give our best review of the best devil of the films that we have reviewed. Um, I'm so torn. Do you have a favorite of the ones we reviewed? Honestly. The, the I I am torn. I, I've got two. I mean, of the uh, 
Vigo stands out a lot. I just really love a lot of the stuff yeah. he did in the prophecy. I mean, he's only in that film for like minutes. Like he's like Peter Stormare. He's just barely in the movie, but he stands out so much that I've got to give him credit for what he did in it. And because he combined more of the, you know, like the whisper in your ear, uh, but also along with the, he's got the, he had that demonic streak to him, like the way that he was guttural at times. I like that aspect to him. And uh, visually, I've got to give it to Tim Curry because I, I love the darkness as far as its look. He's like the best, you know, visual representation of the devil. Um, but you, but then, like, I mean, but then again, you've got, you know, um, Al Pacino. I mean, I mean, Devil's Advocate, man, he was good in that. We could do top three. That was three right there. I don't know if you want to leave it yeah. at that or if you want another special shout out. No. Um, I mean, you know, Houston, you know, obviously being the, you know, the, you know, the granddaddy of all of them, you know, back in 41, give him his little special shout out on the side there. Cause you know, he, he did a really good job back in the, you know, on the devil and Daniel Webster. Yeah. Um, mine is slightly different from yours because you know, you and I both know it goes without saying that my favorite portrayal was the one and only most adorable Black Phillip. That is my number one. I can't put any other number one in his place. I will have no false gods above Black Phillip, okay? <laughs> I, I do. That I, was, and also, he and he's another one of those ones that does the whisper thing, because whenever he yes. actually does the voice at the end of the movie, it's it's that whisper voice. It's like you were listening Whispering sweet nothings you know. into my ear. You know? I, I love Black Phillip. So that's my number one. Um, and number two and number three, I, this is a tough one. I'm going to say number two was Peter Stormare. Stormare. Okay. And I know it is so recent, but the fact that I have found out that he picked his own outfit, I feel like it really added to his character um, that he, I put him in the number two spot. And then, of course, um, in Devil's Advocate, uh, Al Pacino. I put him as my number three. He really deserves the number two spot. He was very boisterous. He was influenced by the devil and Daniel Webster, which I think he did a great job of kind of, I don't know, modernizing that version well, and he, of it. And he did, he did something, too, that's interesting when you think about it because Houston played the folksy country version of the devil. Al Pacino played the, the world, world-wise, you know, like, uh, you know, a city devil, basically. Like, he knew how to function in the middle of, like, a crowded town or whatever, you know, city, versus, like, you know, Houston's yeah. character kind of slinking around the small towns and kind of catching the farmers off to the side. Oh, my God. Yeah, he did, and that was tough because we revealed some, we reviewed some cool devils during this season, so I, I never even, you really threw me off with that because I never even thought of, hey, we should probably talk about our favorite devils, you know? <laughs> and it's hard to believe that this is our last episode of this season of The Devils in the Details. Like, we made it. It has, this is our first, like, you know, we're just like, hey, let's do a fucking podcast. And we did. We put together a fucking podcast. We both put our ends of the, you know, bargain on it of what we were going to do, and we made it happen. And it's been such a crazy road. We have both learned so much. It's insane that we made it through a whole season already. I'm pretty proud of it. I mean, it, it took a lot of effort on both of us, and there was a lot a few setbacks here and there, obviously, but it's, uh, it's, it's <laughs> been nice, you know. Yeah, like I said, we've, we've learned a lot. So uh, I think after this, we are, I mean, I'm obviously I got some editing to do on these shows. I'm going to get them out. They will all be out in October. I mean, I might slip into November at the very latest, early the first week, but editing has been going really great on my end. So hopefully that momentum keeps up. Uh, we are moving into, is it the ghost season? Yeah, I've tentatively titled it Haunted Homes and Haunted Hearts because... <laughs> um, any good ghost story has something to do with one of those two things, in my opinion. Yeah, I wholeheartedly, whole haunted heartedly agree with you on that. Oh my God, that was such a dad joke. <laughs> Insert drum here. Okay, what are we titling this season again? Uh, what, the ghost season or this season? Yeah, the ghost season. Haunted homes and haunted hearts. It sounds like um, almost like an ad. <laughs> <laughs> 
Haunted Homes and Haunted Hearts. Well, to everybody that has stuck with us this far and any of anyone who's going to continue joining us in the future, uh, thank you for listening to our first season again. We're just a little fledgling podcast trying to figure out our rhythm. I think we've got it down pretty good at this point. And uh, please join us for our haunting season next year, Haunted Homes and Haunted Hearts, uh, as it's been named by the Reverend Dr. Death. I'm La Yarena. I just want to say thank you so much, Reverend. I would like to thank everybody who is, you know, subscribed, listened, downloaded. It's really appreciated. I mean, you know, we... We want it to be something that you all appreciate, and the fact that you, you know, were, you know, actually responding is, is just blowing us away. So, we really appreciate that. And with that, peace be with you. And with your spirit.